welcome to the Marty Smith America podcast. This is Volume 47. We appreciate you guys taking the time to hang out with us again this week. Uh, last week, you guys really enjoyed my rambling dribble about everything that I had experienced over the past several weeks. And so we're going to continue that theme this week, albeit with a couple of interviews. This past weekend, I engaged in the second annual ESPN Tournament Challenge Marathon, during which I visited eight different schools. We were on a bus. I was on a bus with eight other dudes for almost 50 hours. Smelled like a barn by the time we got done. We went to Murray State. And then we went to Louisville, and then we went to Lexington and the University of Kentucky, and then we left there and went to Knoxville, Tennessee, to the University of Tennessee. And then we went over to Gardner-Webb, experiencing its first ever NCAA tournament experience. Then we went to Wofford. Right before they left to head off to their tournament game, we interviewed one of their players and their coach at 7.30 in the morning, and they got on the bus at 8. So they waited for us to go. We appreciate that. From Wofford, we made our way to Chapel Hill and the University of North Carolina, where I hung out with Coach Roy Williams, Luke May, and Cam Johnson. And then we finished the tour in Durham at Duke University, where I hung out with Trey Jones and Javin Delorier. So it was quite a trip. Uh, we learned a lot. We spent a lot of time with various members of these programs. I played knockout against the ladies at Louisville, Asia Durr and Dana Evans. They're great players. Durr is a two-time ACC Player of the Year, and I got one shot up, and the ladies knocked me out. Basically, the same thing happened later that same day at Kentucky when Macy Morris and Taylor Murray, the great guards for the Wildcats, knocked me out immediately. Travis, I also tried to make – they have this rule at Kentucky, the ladies' basketball team, where you have to make 25 three-pointers in two minutes before you can leave the floor. I made 16, cold. Not awful. Not great. Not awful. And then I went down to Knoxville, and, it took, again, it took one shot. I hung out with Lamonte Turner – and Jordan Bowden from the University of Tennessee, who they are now on their way to the Sweet 16. And uh, just a lot of fun, man. Gardner-Webb was wild. Uh, 5 o'clock in the morning, 4.50 in the morning, there are hundreds of students in the stands utterly coming unglued, losing their mind that the Marty Party was in town. I was going to ask you about that. You've gone a lot of places. The Marty Party attracts a lot of craziness. Where does that rank? Way up. And it, the, all of the context needs to be noted because, I mean, again, it was 4.50 in the morning. We leave Knoxville sometime around midnight, maybe 12.15, I think, after hanging out with Tor- Turner and Bowden uh, in Thompson Bowling Arena. It was awesome to be in there getting shots up, by the way. I appreciate that because, I mean, look, man, they're, they're college students. They're getting ready to head off to the NCAA tournament. They got a lot going on. There's a lot of stress involved in that. And they took the time at 11 o'clock at night to show up at the gym and do an interview with us live on the Tournament Challenge Show. Uh, so I'm so appreciative of those guys and everybody at the University of Tennessee for taking the time to do that. So we leave there and head off to Boiling Springs, North Carolina. I passed out on the bus and I wake up, uh, at the, the they wake me up, uh, Tom Engel and Patrick Abrahams, my boys that kind of ran the, the show there and put together all the logistics. They shake me awake. They're like, dude, we're at Gardner-Webb. Get up. You're on TV in eight minutes. 
So I'm like pounding a cup of coffee. I walk into the gym and it is bu- it's bedlam in there. Kids were losing their minds. They have signs there. There's a guy dressed like some sort of deranged elf. It was like a mini game There's, day. I mean, it was like game day. Yeah. It was like game day. And they came, they showed out. It was awesome. And we appreciated that so much. They gave me these sandwiches. Apparently, Boiling Springs is the liver mush capital of the world. So they, on the way, I, if I would have known that those sandwiches were there, and, and to their credit, Tom and Patrick, again, my producers, they clued me in that the running bulldogs were going to give me a liver mush sandwich. For what, I was a half asleep and wasn't really thinking. And if I would have thought about it, I would have taken a hack out of that liver must sandwich right there on TV. But alas, I did not think about it. And the coaching staff handed me this tin, like this big tin full of these sandwiches to take on the bus with us. And uh, I think they're still on the bus. I feel like that would have been a bad decision. That might have toppled, topped your falafel eating liver mush. Yeah, that doesn't sound falafel good. Was a real, I'm still working on that falafel, I think, man. I it's think a good thing you didn't have that liver mush then. Whew. Anyway, so we leave the madness at Gardner-Webb. And at this point, it's 5.30 or so in the morning. And we're once we're, we're going to get our ETA at Wofford is like 7. So going back to sleep after I pounded this cup of coffee, we only have 90 minutes. It didn't make any sense. So we ride our way over to Spartanburg to where Wofford College is, and they are waiting on us, man. They were crazy, too. There was like 50 dudes. Their, their main building is called Old Main on campus. And they have this tradition where at, when you enter the building at the top of these steps, very steep steps, there is this sign. There's like a, a, a sign on the wall right in front of you. It's like a big plaque. And there's a misspelled word. Beneficent. I think the word is ben, beneficent or beneficent. One or the, one or the other. But either way, there's supposed to be an E and there's an I. And the students take their thumb and rub that I for good luck before exams. And you can see where they do it every day. I mean, the the plaque is a bit soiled, right, because it's old. But, man, the brass, gold, whatever that is, is bright as day where those students participate in that tradition. So I show up at the uh, at Old Main. And I'm going to interview. We have a whole plan put together. It's a live, live moment. I'm going to interview their senior center, Matthew Pegram. Great kid. He could be my younger brother. He had a great red beard. He looked like me 20 years ago and uh, a foot taller. And great, great young man. So he's going to explain to me that tradition. Quick comment about ball and going to the NCAA tournament as a seven seed. Great year they had. And then I was going to run down those stairs through a student tunnel to their head coach, Mike Young, who also, is, let me tell you about an awesome dude, man. That guy, he's from near where I grew up. He knows so many people. He started talking about Steve Ragsdale. That's my legendary high school football coach at Giles High School, a Virginia high school league legend. Uh, and like, I, I was like, man, we're going to be, we're going to be tight. I didn't realize that coach Young knew all these people. He, the athletic director at Radford University, my alma mater is Robert Lindenberg, and they're very close. And so it was just really cool to, to chat with Coach Young. What a great man. And and we discussed their run to the NCAA tournament. 
what expectations are, how to define success. And then I turned around and saw those crazy dudes up on top of those stairs losing their minds shirtless. I'm like, what's wrong with them? He goes, I don't know, man. Maybe you should take them with you. But awesome time at Wofford. And when I got to Carolina, I was thinking, as a team, we were kind of going through, man, these guys have been asked every single thing you could possibly answer about basketball. So let's have fun, and let's go completely off the – off the reservation, man. Let's go completely off script. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna do rapid fire with them. Uh, pop culture rapid fire. And it was funny. We're not even gonna talk hoop, alright? Cool. Rapid fire. You ready for this? Yes, sir. Alright, here we go. And favorite song? Uh, favorite song. I'd have to go something Drake. That's too, I don't have a favorite song. Alright, who should play you in a movie? Who should play me in a movie? I'm gonna say Will Smith. Mom's best dish. Um, stuffed salmon and collard greens and rice. Favorite binge watch. Favorite binge watch friends. Oh, friends. Friends. Taking it back, man. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite app. Favorite app, uh, Spotify. Favorite emoji. Uh, sunglasses emoji. Greatest basketball player of all time. Jordan, hands okay, down. Okay, then easy. I was going to say greatest Tar Heel of all time. We Jordan. know that answer too then, don't we? Yep. Text or FaceTime? Uh, FaceTime. Last person you texted? Last person I texted, probably my mom. Celebrity crush? Jennifer Aniston. Oh, and friends and Aniston. Call him. Good looking young man right there. <laughs> Last time you cried? Last time I cried, senior night. Senior night speech. Okay, yeah, you did a good job on that speech. Thank Biscuits you. or cornbread? Biscuits. Best hair on the team? Uh, Kobe. Oh, not you? No, nah, Kobe nah, does my have hair. some stellar locks. Worst hair on the team. Uh, worst hair on the team, huh? One word to describe Coach Williams. Um, charismatic. Oh, charismatic. That's rapid fire with Cam Johnson. Excellent. Appreciate it. This is Luke May, and it's time for rapid fire. Are you ready for this? Yes, sir. All Thanks, right, man. Marty. Here we go. Right off the top. Favorite song? Uh, let's see. Probably Honey, I'm Good by, uh, I guess it's Andy Grammer. Okay, Honey, I'm Good by Andy Grammer. Very good. I've not heard of that song. I probably should have. Who should play you in a movie? Um, <sighs> got to be good looking, right? Yeah, got to be good looking. Probably uh, my man's Tony Stark because he's got okay. the beard. Okay, all right, yep, Tony Stark. That works for yeah. me. Mom's best dish? Um, spaghetti. Okay, spaghetti. Favorite binge watch? Um, ah, I'm not a big TV show guy. Me Not either. a big binge watcher, but I'd probably so, say, like, I like transforming movies. Okay. Favorite app? Favorite app? Um, probably, it's probably Instagram. We're killing this. <laughs> We're killing this. <laughs> I'm trying All to right, think. Favorite emoji? Emoji? Um, definitely the, uh, the laughing emoji. Big laughing emoji guy. Greatest basketball player of all time? Michael Jordan. Okay, so greatest Tar Heel of all time. Same answer. Michael right? Jordan. FaceTime yep. or text? FaceTime. Last person you texted? Uh, Cam Johnson. Celebrity crush? Ooh, Kate Upton. Kate Upton. All right, look out, Verlander. <laughs> Luke's coming for you, man. Uh, I don't know about that. Last time you cried? Um, senior speech. Same thing Cam says. <laughs> biscuits or cornbread? You're a country biscuits, boy. For biscuits. Biscuits. Sure. Team biscuits. Best right hair down on the there team. At, uh, uh, best hair on the team. I'd probably say Kobe White. Everybody would say Kobe yeah, White. Kobe Worst White. hair on the team. Brandon Huffman. Okay. One word to sum up Coach Williams. 
Winner. Winner. You love it. All right, man. Thank you. Thank That's you so rapid much, fire, Mark. Luke May. So that was fun to hang out with those guys. It was a funny moment too with Luke May. He said uh, Kate Upton was his celebrity crush, and I turned to the camera. I was like, "Uh oh, look out, Verlander!" And I wanted to make sure that you guys heard uh, the way I started the tour. And the way I started the tour uh, in Murray, Kentucky, was with the tremendous young player for the Murray State Racers, Ja Morant. If you guys haven't heard of this young man, you will. He's going to be the second or third pick in the NBA draft. His athleticism is jaw-dropping. His unselfishness as a player is tremendous. And very rarely is he not the best player on every floor he steps on. So how does a young man with that kind of ability end up in Murray, Kentucky? So we went there, and we took him to the park. This was Selection Sunday. This was an hour before Murray State learned its NCAA tournament fate. And he was kind enough to give us a little bit of time at a nearby park right there off campus. And I wanted you guys to hear. That's one reason we have the Marty Smith's America podcast is because when we go do these interviews and only the teeniest little snippet make it to television, there's so much more interesting commentary there. So you're going to hear a lot of that in this podcast, not just John Morant, but also from John Calipari, the head coach at the University of Kentucky. But we're going to start with Ja. I want you guys to hear his path and what he hopes to be his future. How does a guy of your talent end up in Murray, Kentucky at Murray State University? Detail that path for me. Uh, first, to start off with a lot of hard work. Um, coming up in high school, I was I fell under the radar. Um, I guess was a little overlooked and um, got invited to a Chandler Parsons camp. Uh, one of the coaches from Murray, James Kane, peeked his head in the back gym and I was playing three on three and he uh, just started asking questions about me um, the next day I ended up playing one of my teammates Tevin Brown in a AAU game and um, I think that's when I got Murray and they were offered me a scholarship in the parking lot so I read where father I know he had a tremendous has had a tremendous impact on your life I read where he told you once don't go where you think you should be go where they want you yeah. why was Murray right um, I think they just laid out the red carpet as soon as I stepped foot in Murray, Kentucky. Um, really, um, just made me felt like this was home. Um, I'm a big family person, and um, they just reeled me in and treated me like family since day one. And I felt like uh, they just made it like they wanted me uh, rather than where I wanted to go. I choose to pick the school that wanted me. What's your personality? Describe your personality for me. Um, I'm really a... Uh, I say laid back type of guy. I can tell. <laughs> I don't do too much. Um, really just stay in the gym. Um, so other than that, I uh, really can't say. When you're growing up in South Carolina and you're putting in work in the backyard by yourself in the dark where nobody else is watching, what are the dreams? What are you dreaming about in that backyard? Uh, really to just get to the the biggest level um, that I can and, Obviously, it started here. Um, finally got to play D1 basketball. Um, a dream come true, and now I'm chasing to the NBA. You're definitely chasing to the NBA. <laughs> What's this year been like? How do you describe? Because I'm going to be honest with you, man, straight up honest. Six months ago, never heard your name. It didn't take long for me to hear your name. 
Yes, sir. What's this been like? How has your life progressed and, and transitioned and evolved over this season? Um, I've, I went from, like you said, nobody knowing <laughs> me to now one of the biggest uh, players in college basketball. So, um, really... I really can't do too much now, I'd say. <laughs> What's um, it like to go out in public? Um, get some shots up, man. You get uh, people coming to ask for autographs or pictures. So There's really just a lot of people knowing me. So I'm still a big family person, so I, I love doing it. it don't, I don't mind at all. How do you describe your dad's influence on the player you are? I said he really made me who I am. Um, he taught me everything I really needed to know. Um, most people think it's you got to do the fancy things, but really, um, since since day one, he just taught me the fundamentals of basketball, um, using my left, right hand, stuff like that. What about mental toughness? What What about being a dog? How did he grow you into being the guy that's flushing it on everybody and finding your teammates the way you do? Um, he, I probably say he was. Uh, one of my haters before I even had him. Really? Um, he never complimented me on anything good. He always told me the bad about what I do. <laughs> and so now, um, like when I hear fans call me overrated or anything, it really doesn't bother me because <laughs> he was calling me overrated before they could. Yeah, you're like, I don't care what my old man's been saying that my whole life. What are you yeah. talking about? And um, he really just taught me um, how to just keep my composure, um, just stay and really just have fun with it every day. Walk me through some of those drills that you did in the backyard. I've read about tractor tires. I've read about chairs. I've read about inanimate objects that you're working around. Yeah. How did you come to, to, to use that philosophy? Um, I'd say the tires was my favorite, although I hated them coming up. Uh, but <laughs> um, after every drill, I would have to jump on the tractor tire 20 times. And um, as it got easier, he put a, a little pallet under it to make it higher for me. So... Um, I say that's probably my favorite to do, but um, other than that, really just uh, reading defenders. He used to have he made this cone on wheels, and I come and make a move, and he'll push the cone at me, and I just have to read and make a move off of it. So it really just helped me, um, like in the game, if a defender just try to jump and steal the ball, I can change directions. Quick. Muscle memory became muscle memory for you that way. Yeah, yeah. What was the moment when you knew your life was starting to change? in terms of the public awareness of your talent? I'd probably say after the uh, Alabama dunk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Look at the smile. I like it. Take uh, me through the Alabama dunk. Um, it was late in the game. We was um, trying to fight back um, to come out with a win, and I came down on a full-court play and got ahead of one of my defenders and just seen an a, a opening and just took it and went and finished the play. And um, after that dunk, my just social media just started blowing up. <laughs> Who's reached out to you or you learned that they know who you are that was the most surprising? Who are some of the guys that have become fans of yours that you've noticed? Um, I think my biggest is probably Al Iverson. Um, what did he say? He told me that I was, um, I was tough and just keep going. And also Kevin Durant. I think I was really surprised with him on the podcast I heard um, – he said um, I was his favorite player to watch, and then um, recently he DM'd me and said, um, just keep pushing. So He did? Yeah. KD, all right, KD slides into the DMs, huh? <laughs> yes, sir. What was it like to get that? Um, I was surprised. Um, I really couldn't even 
say how I felt about it. All I could do was smile. <laughs> I, uh, you know, that's, John, that's Kevin Durant, okay? Yeah. That, that's the either the best player in the world or the second best player in the world telling you that you're his guy. Yes, What's that sir. tell you about your game? Uh, I guess that uh, <laughs> I'm a good player, I guess. <laughs> if it's coming from him, like you said, being the best player or possibly uh, top three in the league right now. One of the hardest things to do for us as human beings is to talk about ourselves. I'm asking you all of these questions trying to get you to discuss yourself. I imagine you've evolved quite a bit from that capacity. What's it been like? That, that, what's that part of your life been like? How do you? Why do you? Who are you every single day the way you've had to do this year? Um, I would say it was tough. Yeah, um, I imagine. I'm a very humble person. Um, I really don't like speaking too much of myself, so... Um, that's the hard part, really talking about myself after, um, obviously, I blew up. So I want to see and hear the story behind the tattoo, the uh, beneath no one tattoo. Well, coming, obviously, AAU, high school, um, I was very overlooked. So it was times that I questioned myself, would, was I good enough to be able to play at the next level? And um, I give all the credit to my parents. My dad always told me to... Uh, that I'm trained to go, so basically like um, I was built for it, and my mom always told me that I was beneath no one to keep pushing. So I say um, both of those um, just kept me going, and obviously it paid off. What were the down times like? What was it like when you were feeling like, why is nobody checking? Why is nobody coming here to see me? What kind of chip is that? Do you still have that chip? Yeah, I say I still play with that chip on my shoulder. That's just a passion and emotion I play with today. Um, just play with a chip on my shoulder. What has to happen to lose it? I don't think I can. <laughs> <laughs> so you come here to Murray State. How does Murray, Kentucky complement your personality? Uh, it's really almost, almost similar to Sumner, um, where I come from, where I live. Um, it's a very small town, but um, you can go anywhere and somebody knows you. Um, Sumner is very small, and everybody I say everybody is almost together as one, um, really on the same mission. And um, I'm a big family person. Um, that's how I grew up. And um, like I said on my shirt, that's what Murray, um, Murray is to me now. It's family, and they brought me in since day one. You said you can go anywhere and people know you? Yeah. I imagine at this point you go everywhere and people know you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one last thing. How do the dreams in the backyard compare to what your current reality is? It was just something I dreamed for. Um, I was working for it, and I say now that my hard work is finally paying off. Um, it feels good, but I still have a lot of more work to do. I will tell you what really stood out to me in that interview, Travis, was the fact that he said his dad was his his hater, first hater, his hater before he even had haters. And I said to him on the car ride back to the arena that, Many of us, and I have a lot of friends who are high achievers who spent so much of their life doing their very best to earn their father's favor, to make daddy proud. And I can guarantee you that Jaws' parents are bursting with pride. And I am so impressed with him. I'm impressed with, forget the basketball ability, which we know is world class. He has a grace about him and an understanding of the moment 
and being where his feet are. It's so hard to do in this life to be present and be where you are. And he consciously takes that approach to everything. Loves his brothers, loves his coaching staff at Murray State. And now he'll start the process of what's next. And of course, everybody expects that to be the NBA. He's a top, he's a lottery pick and, and probably going to be second or third in the draft. Tremendous young man, Travis. You're leaving one thing out of this Murray State stop though, Marty, was, uh, a FaceTime that you called somebody in, <laughs> in front of the team to surprise them. And it wasn't just like, oh, hey, I've got a friend here that's like a buddy yeah. of mine that's, it was a kind of a big name. It well, it was a spur of the moment thing. So I get to Murray State and I really like Matt McMahon, the head coach there. Uh, he's a vibrant guy, young guy, great coach. And I noticed that several players had championship belts on, like wrestling championship belts. And they were elaborate. And when he takes me into, Coach McMahon took me on a tour. And we're walking around looking at the facilities. Their locker room is tremendous. Their practice gym is brand new and, and amazing. And he's explaining to me that they've sent all these point guards to the NBA over the past several years. And so we're just discussing this, and then he's like, let me show you our, our player, like our film area. And he takes me in, and it's these 12 or 15 leather chairs. It's like theater seating, huge screen up there, whiteboard behind it where he can draw up motivational stuff or plays or team motto or whatnot. And on the little shelf that holds the dry erase markers, there is a championship belt that has Ric Flair it says flair on it and it's gold and encrusted and gorgeous. It's awesome. So I'm like, you a flair guy? And he's like, Oh dude, you don't even know. So without him even knowing it, I'm like, hmm, let's FaceTime it. So I FaceTime flair and Nate answers the phone. He's like, what's up money? And so McMahon's losing his mind. He can't believe this. So I turn, I, I basically hand the phone to coach McMahon. And let him talk to Flair. And I was blown away, we both were, by how much the Nature Boy knew about Murray State basketball. He went on and on about Ja and what a great player he is and how fun he is to watch. And it was just a really awesome moment to see that. And I know how much Flair enjoys that stuff. He was hanging out at home, answers the FaceTime, and Coach McMahon loved every second of it. Uh, and that was just neat to do. And then I saw later on on Twitter, right before the first round, that Nate shouted out Murray State, Coach McMahon, Ja, all those guys, and wished them good luck in the tournament. So that's just cool because they love – I mean, they're two claps and a Ric Flair. <laughs> Woo! That's what they do. So it was fun to be able to do that for him, and and I appreciate I appreciate Nate for answering the phone. He could have He could have just Heisman me, and he didn't. Speaking of – the opportunity to get the Heisman and being shown grace instead. That happened a lot on this trip. We took a lot of chances. And one of the biggest chances that we took was interrupting John Calipari's weekly radio show at Malone's Prime Events, this reception hall, in Lexington, Kentucky, on the UK Sports Network. He does it every week. And we worked it out with the sports information staff and with the radio staff and with Malone's prime staff that we were going to roll up in there live on Sports Center 
The only person who didn't know was Coach Cal. So we weren't rude. Don't worry. We Everybody was in on the joke except for him. And we roll straight in there, man. Uh, L. Duncan throws out to me uh, from Sports Center, and I roll right up in that thing hollering. And the I had, I'll be honest with you, I had a little bit of concern. <laughs> I had a little bit of concern at first because when I went rolling up in there, the look on Coach Cal's face was not uh, – it was – I don't know whether it was shock, disgust, annoyance. I didn't know what that look was. But – once we got in there, I got down on a knee beside him, and we had a whole lot of fun. And I then tried to make the transition into starting to ask my questions because we only had three minutes. And so I went in, and I, I, my initial thought was, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to know how you continually retool a team when everybody that you recruit and everybody on your team's going to the NBA every year." And Calipari's brilliant at that. He's just brilliant. And so I start my thought process by saying, Coach, you are so good. And he goes, oh, say it again. I said, you are so good. He said, one more time. I said, you're so damn good. And he's like, man, I might like this interview. So we discuss all of those things. I toss it back to the studio. And at that time, he went ahead and finished his radio show. There was about, I don't know, 20 minutes left in the show at that point. So we just hung out and waited. Afterwards, he walked over and, and said that he really enjoyed that and thought it was funny. And I was like, hey, you think we could get a couple more questions in on the bus? We'd like to bring you down to the, to the game day bus and hang out in the back and, and really expound upon what you're doing at Kentucky, how you've evolved as a coach, et cetera. And he said yes. And this is – what is it, Travis, six minutes, five minutes? Six minutes. Okay. What this man says in this six minutes, I found to be profound. And I felt like this was the perfect platform for you guys to hear it. So here's my, my chat with John Calipari during the ESPN Tournament Challenge Marathon in the game day bus about legacy, which is hard to discuss while you're still living it. Fascinating person. Coach, how would you rate the SEC in 2019 compared to a typical year? Well, there were some lean years um, where we were getting two and three teams in. And the last two years, uh, not only – well, the one year we only got three teams in Florida and us went to the Final Four, which tells you they should have put more teams right. in. But, you know, now you're getting seven and eight, and those teams are advancing – um, it's really good. And we're preparing each other for success. Guys play different. Some are playing zone. Some are pressing. Some are playing a little bit slower. Some are trapping. Uh, you know, some teams are playing a little slower to, to for pace a game. Um, we're all, I think everybody, we've all prepared each other for these weekends. In what way specifically? How does that rigorous schedule in your league prepare you for March? Well, you're going to be in a lot of close games. They learn about themselves. The coaches learn about their teams, what doesn't work. What, like, I'll remember, like, I'm not doing that again if I'm ever in that situation. And a lot of times it's like, wow, that really is a good way for us to finish a game. So you're just learning. I mean, I like to say we're winning or learning throughout the year because everything for me has always been I don't care about conference tournament. I really don't care about conference championship stuff. It's all... Is it preparing us 
to get the best seed we can get because that's important and advance in this tournament. At what point do you stop caring about those things and start caring about the long view? Because awards matter when you're young, but as you move along and age in your career, those things tend to take less of an importance. You know, uh, Marty, it's um, um, when you're when you make your life about other people, it becomes easier. Everything um, when you're trying to just gather. You're a very lonely person, and, and, and you do take things personal. Um, you know, we've, I've been so blessed. I mean, there's no way I should be in the seat I'm in. I wasn't, you know, as a player, I was small, um, but I was slow. I mean, I didn't play for <laughs> these guys. I mean, I wasn't that guy. I didn't play for him, which helped me get this. And I'm in Kentucky, and, and now all of a sudden we've gotten 40 guys to the NBA. We've had number one picks, lottery picks. I mean, 25 lottery picks. It's remarkable. I mean, it's, it's almost $2 billion in contracts. And you sit there and say, most of those families, it's the first time they breathe. They get a breath. Like, we've gone hand to mouth our whole lives, our whole family for generations. And now we get to breathe. And we get to be a part of the American dream. And to be that guy that's kind of the conduit to help it's 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 heady stuff. I don't take it lightly because I know what's at stake for the families. But it's a ball when I'm in that. Why would he go to the green? I'm having it's graduation. I'm having a ball. I'm hugging. I'm kissing. This was what it was about. Well, you know, like you don't care about winning. Yeah, we've won more than more <laughs> not final, but more league championships, tournament championships. So don't say I don't care about winning, but not at the expense of the kids. It's, I know it's hard to talk legacy. You led me into this, just for the record. I know it's hard while you're still doing it, right? But it sounds to me like you have a pretty solid idea what you're trying to leave here. What is that? You're trying to leave with the idea that how many people did I help along the way? How many staff members have opportunities? I mean, and, I, and let me say this. I have been treated and paid more than I deserve I want more. No, but more, <laughs> more than I deserve um, because of the success of these players, which in turn makes me feel obligated. How do I help? How do I really counsel the right way? Um, some kids need to stay a little longer. Some kids need to go now. How do I do this without being selfish? We had five guys drafted in one draft. We had six guys drafted in two different drafts, which means you lose your whole team. Why wouldn't you try to keep two or three of those guys? Why didn't you bench a guy so he had to come back? Because it's not about me. It's about those families. Now, the kids don't always like me because I'm going to tell you, it's, this stuff's on steroids. We're a fat. I don't have time for BS. No time for BS. We're going to keep it real. Sometimes I get aggressive. But you're going to know I love you. So I can be aggressive. Because you know at the end of the day, I'm making this about you, not me. I don't want it to be about me. I don't want to come out with color, you know, coloring my hair and going crazy and doing backflips. I do enough of that during the game. Last thing. I know you got to run. What's your message to your young men before you guys head to Jacksonville? Play to your training. Play to your training. If you play to the tournament, you can do that for about 15 minutes. If you play to the opponent... You could do that for about 15 minutes. If you play to the training 
and you fall back on that training, you can do that for 40 minutes. And if you play the way we're capable of for 40 minutes and you lose, you can walk away and say, what? We lost to Tennessee in the, in the semifinals of our tournament. And when I looked at the stats, I'm like, these are winning numbers, which means at the end, a couple plays, a couple calls, that, and you lose the game. And I walked away saying, guys, we're in good shape. Tennessee's the Final Four team. You had them beat in a neutral court. What are we? Mm-hmm. Let, let's go. Play to the training. Don't worry about the opponent. You know how we're trying to get you to play. And, and putting guys in the position that they're comfortable. Um, but it's all real simple to me that way. Absolutely brilliant, though. Thank you for your time. Thanks. I Thanks, always man. learn. I appreciate it so much. Now, there's no other way that I can begin to sum up his approach. He is so direct and vulnerable and honest in the way that he approaches this. And he is changing people's lives. That's something that I had not considered before. He just said that. A lot of these young men that are coming to the University of Kentucky, he is saying, hey, come here. We will nurture you for one year. We will prepare you as best we can for the next level, how to handle fame. Because you come to the University of Kentucky and you're a star, you're famous. There's nobody more famous in the state than you. Then we will prepare you for how to handle all that's coming at you. Money, fame, people, hangers on, all those things. We will prepare you for that. And we are going to completely rewrite your family's future. A lot of these people are struggling, not when they leave the University of Kentucky and they go third, fourth, fifth, sixth, tenth in the draft, and all of a sudden they're worth $25 million. And to hear the way that he approaches that filled up my tank. I don't care what your opinion is of that philosophy. That's the, that is the current parameters that are set in college basketball. That is the landscape by which these coaches and these administrations must play. Adapt or don't. And he's even admitted that he doesn't like this format. It's just he has to do what, like you said, what's best for him and the program, and he's going to run with it, and he's going to be better than you at it. But he doesn't and like the kids. this. No, if he has embraced, he was the he was the guy. He changed college basketball. He was the guy that said, "Come here. We will embrace that you're going to be here for one year. We will not. We we are all in on having you for this one season." And guess what happened? The, 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 the number one example of his influence on college basketball is Mike Krzyzewski. Because Duke University went from the four-year university where players came and they learned the system and they grew in the system for three and four years. And all of a sudden, look what's happened. It's worked out tremendously. He has embraced that and it really kind of started with Kyrie. And now it's a whole other phenomenon with Zion, R.J. Barrett, Trey Jones, all these folks. Cam Reddish, you know, Cam, R.J., and Zion are predicted to be top five, top six picks in this draft, all on the same roster, all 19 years old or whatever, 18, 19 years old. So that to me is a real example of, okay, if we want to contend for national championships and we want to get the best players that come to Durham, 
we have to look over at Lexington and see how they're doing it. So that tour was very fulfilling for me on a lot of levels. Uh, I really enjoy the camaraderie with the guys. I really enjoy spending time with those that we cover and learning from them and feeling the way that they feel as they prepare to go into this amazing moment that is the NCAA tournament that all of them have dreamed about their entire lives. And that includes the coaches. I mean, you look at at Gardner-Webb, for example. Gardner-Webb had never been to the NCAA tournament before. They beat my Highlanders. And to walk into the gym and to see that reaction and to see the look on Coach Kraft's face. Tim Kraft is the head coach at Gardner-Webb. Great guy. To see the look on his face at what they had accomplished and what that means to Gardner-Webb, man. What that means. They they had the opportunity to go to the dance and to be on the national stage and, oh, by the way, lead UVA at halftime. They were the story of college basketball for a half. And that is so fun. It's the beauty of March. All we want in this life is a sense of belonging, a little bit of appreciation, and feeling like we're a part of something. And that's the way I felt on this trip. And as I said, our last stop on the tour was with Duke. And I'm so appreciative of Mike DeGeorge and the communications staff for getting me a couple players. They have been worn out this season, worn slap out with all of the attention that comes with a phenomenon like Zion Williamson. And after practice, uh, we showed up at Cameron Indoor Stadium. We walked in there, and Mike brought me Trey Jones, the great point guard, wonderful young man, and Javin Delorier. And we sat there in the stands at Cameron Indoor, and I asked them, look, I've apologized to these guys I've probably covered the last eight or ten of their games or whatever before the NCAA tournament here. I didn't cover the tournament last weekend, but leading up to the tournament, several of their games that Zion missed with injury and then the entire ACC tournament, I covered all those games. And after every one of those games, what was my job? Zion Williamson. And it's a joke now between Trey Jones and me. I tell him, hey, man, Zion time, and we just share a laugh. But I wanted to learn about this team and what it's been like this year, what their goals are. And this is just a great interview with two great young men. I appreciate their time. Here is my conversation in Cameron Indoor Stadium before they went to the first round of the tournament with Trey Jones and Javin Delorier. We got Javin Delorier and Trey Jones from Duke here. I want to start with how different this season has been. All right. When you look back on this season, many years from now, what will stand out? Uh, probably just all the hype that's been coming with it. Um, I mean, there's how, how we opened up the season and um, all the hype that came along with it um, right away. Uh, obviously, we got um, so, some big-time athletes here already uh, with Zion and RJ bringing in a lot of hype. But then, um, I mean, just along the way, everything that's happened with um, celebrities coming to the games. We got uh, Barack Obama coming in. We got... Um, you know, Jay-Z being there, I mean, different people. So that's definitely going to stick out to me. So at what point did you realize this season is going to be a little bit different season than those to which we're accustomed? Um, I would say, yeah, right about the first game. Uh, we came out, uh, we beat Kentucky. That kind of changed um, the way people talked about us, uh, the way we were covered by the media and stuff like that. 
And even though I've been here for three years and, you know, people talk about Duke a lot, this was something that was completely different. Uh, like Trey said, you know, we had Barack Obama coming to Cameron Indoor. So it, it, the amount of people that have come through just to watch our games has been pretty crazy. How do you guys react when you're in the layup line? And you look over and you see the 44th president of the United States sitting there. Were you, what, were you, what were you guys saying to each other? Right, it's just—it's like it's just a real moment for sure. It doesn't even seem real, but I mean, once you once you get in the game and game starts going back and forth, you really forget about who's there. You just get to playing basketball again. You noted having been here before these guys ever got here, an established leader of this program. What's it like to have that type of position, and then all of a sudden this phenomenal class comes in that is so different. Um, you know, to be honest, it's been really easy uh, just because these guys have been great from day one. Uh, you know, they came in and they were just a mature group uh, who really just wanted to get better and they want to win. Uh, so when you have guys like that who come in and obviously are super talented, it just makes everything flow really well. What does Mike Krzyzewski demand of his captains? Um, really just for us to try and set the tone uh, for the group and make sure everything runs smoothly. Um, and we like to try and handle things amongst ourselves. Uh, before you know, the coaches have to interfere. Uh, just that's because how uh, how Duke basketball operates. It's a lot better if we you know handle our issues internally um, than we have to get in practice and you know coaches yelling at everyone. So it's better for us to <laughs> nip it in the butt. All these guys come in here, and I want to know what you thought the first time you saw this guy. First time I really saw him play because when he got here, he was hurt. Um, but I remember the first time we played with pickup uh, and pickup, and I was like, "Wow, you know, he never makes the wrong play." I was shocked. I'd never really seen him play in high school, um, but just his court vision and how fun he was to play with uh, was amazing. I was like, we, "We have a chance to be really good." You guys go out in public. I want to know what it's like to be out. How do people re- react and respond to seeing you guys? Well, you can't take Zion anywhere. That's that's a mess. <laughs> uh, but. It's, which is, again, something that, you know, you think you get used to. Like, I've been here, um, you know, with pretty big-name guys, you know, Jay Tatum, Grayson Allen. And going out in public, obviously, we're, you know, pretty noticeable. We don't really blend into crowds well. <laughs> um, but like Trey said, just the hype that's come with this year has made it a little bit different just in terms of the amount of attention that's brought on us. All right, last thing. The standard around here are those banners in that rafter. You guys are in the number one overall seed in the tournament. How do you define success in this tournament? Yeah, um, like you said, uh, I mean, all of us came here for one reason. That was to, that was to win. So, uh, I mean, with, after winning the ACC tournament, we hung one banner. But, uh, I mean, our main goal is to win, win um, a national championship. And we want to hang uh, one more banner this year. Chatham? You said it better. Thank you guys for hanging out this week. We appreciate your investment in the Marty Smith's America podcast so much. Travis and I appreciate it. Without you guys listening to it, there'd be no reason for us to do it. Uh, I want to reiterate something very important. On April 1st, we join the Lebetard and Friends Network. We announced that during the tournament marathon. Uh, Dan announced it while I was on the Lebetard show with, with him and Stu Gotts that starting April 1st, the Marty Smith's America podcast will become part of the merry band of idiots that is the Lebetard and Friends Network. That is such an honor for me. I am thrilled. And uh, you talk about being appreciative. Those guys' investment in us is so humbling. It's awesome. So uh, our first guest is going to be Rick Flair. 
I am working to get the nature boy on the microphone. He has told me he is very interested in doing this interview. So that will hit on April 1st. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you so much to our men and women in uniform all over this world defending our freedom. We are free, and we need to appreciate the fact that we are free, man. So thank you so much to our military for your sacrifice every single day for keeping us free. That's the Marty Smith's America podcast, volume 47. Thank you all for hanging out. We'll see you next time around.